0: You have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes, too, when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Good morning, it's Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. A very good Friday morning to you. Hope you have a good weekend planned. We're going to talk movies as we do every Friday at 10 o'clock. Coming up next hour, our critics are Wade Major, Amy Nicholson, and Andy Klein. We'll have, uh, hear what they have to say about the return of Raymond Chandler's character in Marlowe, starring Liam Neeson. Neil Jordan directs Magic Mike's Last Dance, the third in that series of films, starring Channing Tatum as a stripper. Steven Soderbergh, who directed the first Magic Mike, is back for the third go-round. And we have two romantic comedies in advance of Valentine's Day at Midnight, which co-stars Monica Barbaro and Diego Bonetta. The film is set in Mexico and Your Place or Mine starring Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher. But we begin with what's happening in Turkey and Syria where thousands of people are uh, being uh, rescued or their bodies recovered as the result of the 7.8 massive earthquake last weekend and the huge aftershocks that have followed. Joining us is NPR correspondent Jason Bobby who is in Adiyaman uh, in turkey where rescue efforts continue jason thank you for being with us please share with us what sorts of of rescue efforts are ongoing there
1: well i mean it's absolutely kind of amazing right in front of me at the moment um they were just taking bodies out of one uh, building and uh Collapse. he's actually just right in front of us at, at the moment uh further in the rubble pile they're attempting to extract people who are asking for water right now they are inside buried in there and they're asking for water from from the rescuers the the, the scene is unfolding even more than four days after the quake hit there are still people in the piles right here uh in front of us
0: and Jason are there uh, people at each one of these sites where where there's been a, a collapse to try and find people or are there not enough rescue personnel to be at every one of those locations
1: well they're definitely not trained rescue personnel at all of these locations it's mainly volunteers it's mainly people from the communities who are going out into these these uh the sites, these huge piles of you know, concrete and, and all of the
0: debris that has
1: come as these apartment buildings have collapsed, and they're going in on their own and uh, construction crews and miners. Uh, there is a USAID search and rescue team here, actually, on the site that I'm at at the moment. Uh, they they came with some dogs and they were they've actually spotted a couple of places where they believe there are people who are still alive inside the rubble. You know, and this is just one tiny you know but inside this city of 400,000 people in this massive quake zone of that spans 250 square miles. So this this scene is repeating all over uh, this part of Turkey and northern Syria right now.
0: Jason, uh, is there any sort of heavy equipment that's being used or is it too dangerous to to do that and the equipment not available now? Jason, are you still there? I think we might have lost him. We'll reconnect. As you can understand, communication is very limited. Jason is joining us from Turkey in the city of uh, Adyaman, uh, which he said about 400,000 people in just one of many locations where there's been massive collapse of buildings. And the rescue and recovery efforts are going on right now. Jason, we we have you back. I was just asking about, is, is any heavy equipment being used? Used, or is that too dangerous or simply not available anyway?
1: No, there's a lot of heavy equipment that's being used. It's it's construction equipment that would have been on construction sites around this city, around other cities. Uh, you know, it's been moved to these these sites and they're using it to sort of prop up buildings to try to get at little voids that they have spotted in different places. It's often in basements that they're actually finding people because they there tend to be spaces. Uh, one piece of concrete falls in a certain way, and, and some people end up surviving in some of those areas, uh, particularly this late in in this disaster. Earlier on, there were people on some higher floors that were being rescued, but now it's the people down low, and they are using heavy equipment to try to get in there.
0: Jason, are the people whose homes and commercial buildings uh, stood during the course of this, are they taking in many other people who have been displaced? The
1: scale of this is so people are are moving into tents. Uh, people who do have homes are are taking in other people. However, many people are scared to be inside buildings. So, people like there was a school we were in the city of a uh, uh, a central city. It's about you know larger than a million people yesterday. Many, many people were sleeping in their cars or sleeping outside simply because they're too scared to be inside a concrete structure at the moment. So that's an adding to the, to the fact that many buildings have been destroyed. Many people don't want to be inside. So right now there are fires, open fires burning outside. There's no electricity. Uh, open fires are burning out uh, out in the streets. People are keeping themselves warm. And the, the temperature was going to drop below freezing again this evening.
0: Wow, this is so so difficult. And um, can you just describe the people that are walking around, uh, uh, how they appear, and how they're coping with this?
1: I mean, it is it is heartbreaking. The number of people who are 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 just crying. People are, you know, so many people have lost loved ones. You you hear people crying as you walk. Just about everywhere and you know as as a reporter you start interviewing people and uh the tears well up in their eyes incredibly quickly before you even ask them you know who who they've lost so people are really you know uh, battered by this uh but they're also trying to get by they're trying to rescue the people who are still inside uh and that gives people amazing hope that there are people who you know, potentially are still alive in some of this debris. I mean, it's, it's after dark here now and you can hear maybe I can you can hear some of the construction, heavy construction uh, machines pounding away, trying to break into to some of these buildings to get it spots where they, they believe there are people who are still living.
0: It's just got to be such a whipsaw emotionally, Jason, to have um, the wonderful experience of pulling someone alive from the rubble who's been in there for days and then recovering bodies, you know, minutes later. It's just the ups and downs of this have just got to be tremendous.
1: It is. It's uh, It's really uh, emotionally hard for Everyone who who's here, and um, as I mentioned at, right at the beginning, I don't know whether the line was dropping out, but you know, there's a man who's collapsed right in front of us. He was one of the men who was carrying out some of the body bags uh, from the site uh, next to us. Uh, you know, whether he's collapsed because of the emotional strain of this or because of the physical strain, it's unknown. But you know, people are uh, really, yeah, they they've gone through a lot, and you know, most of the people here are Muslim normally they would be washing the bodies before they bury them uh but they've actually got a dispensation from um local imams at least here i'm not sure what's happening everywhere that they can take the bodies straight to the cemetery and bury them in these trenches that they've laid out uh they basically declared that the, the bodies are clean and they, they can they can do that which is quite unusual uh but it's a sign of how desperate the situation is and and this attempt to deal with so many people who've died in this one incident.
0: Jason, um, do you know, were Friday prayers being held throughout the city despite this?
1: Oh, it's interesting. You mentioned that it's friday and i didn't even realize it because i was not hearing the mosques that is in part because there is no electricity here anything that's running is running off generators or running off of um uh, of you know some some power that has been brought in by some of the rescuers the, the mosques some of the mosques are are operating in and when the city we were staying in last night in Ghaziantep, we we did hear the call to prayer but it, it's interesting that you mentioned that today that's time actually seems a bit lost to me yeah. as well but I, I actually didn't hear the call to prayer all day uh and that's not to say that the people aren't but it, this is disrupted time in a way here uh normally you would be hearing that uh th- throughout the day and friday would be a time when when many many muslims would be be heading to to the mosques uh it's a pray.
0: We're talking with NPR correspondent Jason Bobian, who joins us from the Turkish city of Aryaman, uh, where about 400,000 people live, and both rescue and recovery efforts are going on simultaneously. Jason, have you heard whether there are more international relief workers or Turkish relief workers who are going to be arriving soon?
1: there's certainly it certainly does feel like it's ramping up in terms of the aid efforts that are getting in but again the the geographic scope of this disaster is such that you know it's almost a drop in the bucket when one aid group shows up in one city when you know you have 10 significant cities in in in, in turkey and uh, other cities in in northern Syria, that have been affected, and that's not even counting these smaller rural villages where people have also been been hit by the same the same quake. So it, it's very hard for the aid to be having a huge impact at the moment. People are basically relying on volunteers, on their neighbors, on other Turks, uh, and. To, to, to help them uh I, as i say though how we did come here initially this morning with a USAID team uh they, they came with some some dogs they've been able to locate some people that they believe are alive and some of them who actually uh, have been asking for water so they definitely are alive even though they have not yet been able to get them out um the, the this these efforts are having having an having an impact here
0: Wow, Jason, thank you so much. What you're witnessing, of course, is, is it's almost unimaginable. And I'm sure even for you being there in the midst of it, uh, this is this is overwhelming what you're seeing. Appreciate your reporting. Anything else you just you think that we need to know about this before we let you go?
1: I mean, Larry, I just think the the most amazing thing is how people are are rallying to, to do what they can to try to, to save the people who are still trapped, to try to help other people. Uh, people are passing out food, they're setting up soup kitchens, they're cooking rice and distributing it. Uh, people are doing everything they can for, for their neighbors to, to try to help them get through this right now.
0: Jason, thank you so much. We appreciate it. All the best, and we'll look forward to your continuing coverage on NPR's All Things Considered this afternoon. Thank you.
1: You're welcome, Larry.
0: Appreciate it. Jason Bobe, an NPR correspondent uh, in Turkey. Just uh, so difficult to to fathom all of what the people are going on there uh, those involved in the rescue effort and those who continue to be trapped days after that massive earthquake also with us from the BBC Middle East correspondent based in Beirut uh, Lena Sinjab uh, thank you so much Lena for being with us uh, uh, what have we learned about the international response that that uh, will hopefully be arriving in Turkey and Syria in the days to come
2: Well, um, you know, uh, too little too late, according to the Syrians trapped in northern Syria. You know, all the international aid that has arrived, arrived into Turkey right now. Uh, But just like very little has arrived into northern Syria, an area controlled by the opposition, and with lots of restrictions on aid convoys to arrive, uh, just today, you know, the UN announced that they've managed to get one uh, more convoy which is the second this week and it's you know uh, the the uh, the operators there like the white helmets who are like the sole ones working on the ground to try to get people trapped under the rebels they say that you know whatever is uh, is arriving is not covering even 20 percent of their needs um they also said that You know, basically the cause of the delay in sending aid into Syria or sending equipment and, you know, uh, sending, you know, technical support to find, you know, people missing under the rubble they said that you know hundreds of lives could have been saved earlier but now it's too late for them now they don't hear cries and calls anymore and the worry is that the number of dead people will rise tremendously in the days to come so far we know that almost 22000 people died between Syria and Turkey, the majority, of course, are in Turkey. But don't forget that also among the ones who died in Turkey along this line are also Syrians who are displaced in Turkey. I mean, I look at at like, at like the names and the families, and you find like one family lost 10 members, another family lost six members. Mm. Some of them are on, on Turkey side, some of them are on, uh, on Syrian side. And the disaster is going to continue because this is an area that has... All the infrastructure damage you know that no housing, no infrastructure, nothing so even if there is relief aid coming in or medical aid coming in, you have to think on a long term as well in you know emergency and relief you know how you know how these people are going to be housed, how are they going to continue? Is just um, you know a misery after a misery and a crisis after a crisis in northern
0: Syria? We're talking with BBC Middle East correspondent Lena Sinjab, who is uh, based in Beirut, talking particularly about the uh, Syrian side of the border also hit by that massive earthquake and the aftershocks. Lena, has the Assad government been an impediment to aid getting into that area because it is controlled by the opposition?
2: Well, uh the the Assad government has been lobbying since they won that, you know, the US should re- remove sanctions on Syria so that, you know, aid comes in. Although, you know, we know by rules that, you know, in in catastrophe, in disasters, you know, sanctions don't apply on humanitarian aid, and lots of support came into government-controlled areas from governments who are supportive of Assad, like China, like Russia, like Iran, like Iraq, like Algeria, and the list is long. But on the other side, you know, little has arrived. Of course, the, the government announced that there is no barrier on this, but nothing has moved. You know, only as I said, it's only two convoys who arrived from the UN in northern Syria. There's only one border crossing that is open. That is open. There are reports of some Qatari aid that arrived, but just we are on day five of the earthquake, and still so very little has arrived. So imagine the disastrous situation. And don't forget that this is the closest uh, part of Syria to the earthquake area and the one that is mostly damaged and in dire need. And this is an area that also was bombed out for twelve years by both government warplanes and Russian warplanes, destroying its infrastructure already, leaving little for people to live, and now you have this earthquake. So imagine the situation that people are in. If Become alive out from under the rubble, Lena. You
0: mentioned the the white helmet um, emergency response crews that you know during the civil conflict were so instrumental in saving lives in Syria. And are these now many of the same people who went through that who are now uh, trying to save their fellow Syrians uh, from this earthquake?
2: They are doing incredible work. They're mostly volunteers, men and women together out. Searching for you know people who are under rubble, you sometimes using their bare hands. One of them reported to have lost his fingers, you know, while trying to remove like the rubble. Searching for people, and there are some really cheerful stories of trying to get getting some families out, some children out, where everyone is cheering for that. But the massive number of people who are missing still is is huge and you know and it's not enough for them to do it on their own with that you know minimum equipment that they have they've been trained to do this over the years because they were rescuing people from under rubble because of the bombing but now it's like you know a massive scale destruction and massive number of people missing
0: lena sinjab thank you very much for being with us again and reporting from beirut on what's happening particularly on the syrian side of the border as a result of the massive earthquake days ago thank you very much we appreciate your report thank you lena sinjab bbc middle east correspondent in beirut our appreciation as well to npr's jason bobian reporting from Adiyaman in Turkey. And of course, you'll hear continuing coverage throughout the day on NPR's Here and Now at noon right after film week. And of course, one o'clock, the first hour of NPR's All Things Considered with Austin Cross. And then drive time, All Things Considered with Nick Roman, commencing at four o'clock. You'll be getting up-to-date coverage on the catastrophic events in Turkey and Syria, where more than 22,000 people have died, many others still to be rescued, or their bodies recovered. It's air talk on KPCC. LA 89.3.